In June 2019, EFCA pastors and church leaders gathered at the Compass Church, Naperville, Illinois, for our biennial EFCA One Conference. We gathered under the theme, Multiplying Disciple Makers. On this episode of the podcast, we share Eric Rivera's message from the conference focusing on Luke 6, 40, Life Change in Disciple Making. Eric serves as the lead pastor at The Brook, Chicago, Illinois. Good morning. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together this morning. It is so good to be here with you. Uh, I want to just say thank you to President Compline, to Greg Strand for their invitation to be here with all of you today. I really do count this an extreme honor to open God's word with so many wonderful men and women who love Jesus, who've invested their lives to following him as pastors, as elders, as worship leaders, youth leaders, lay leaders. Uh, It is a real joy. I'm just so glad, so glad to be here with each of you. I do have with me today my amazing wife, Erica, who's sitting here in the front. And we are mommy and poppy to Keziah, Lucas, and Levi, who are also here with us. They're cold right now, (laughs) but they'll be warming up, hopefully. Uh, I do want to just extend greetings from the Brook, our home church here in Chicago's northwest side neighborhood. You need to understand something about Chicagoans. We're pretty particular about where Chicago is. And so I just want you to know you're not in Chicago right now. (laughs) You're in Naperville, okay? When you ask me if I live in Chicago, they say, what suburb? I said, Chicago, all right? I preach today as an extension of the Brook Church. They're our family, and I know that they consider it a blessing to have me here with you guys. You need to know something about preaching at the Brook. We, we love preaching, and we love to be verbal in preaching. And so I'm going to need you guys to help me feel at home. Yesterday morning, they said, make yourself at home. I'm like, okay. If I'm home, I need to hear you guys participate with me in the sermon. Amen? All right. So it's okay to clap. It's okay to shout. It's okay to do whatever you want. Just don't interrupt me. All right. I've been given the great responsibility today of presenting discipleship as conforming to Jesus. What a, what a privilege. Yeah. What a privilege. We saw yesterday morning, yes, discipleship is taking up our cross, denying ourselves and following Jesus. We saw yesterday evening, discipleship, yes, it's, it's life on life. It is good and it is right to have spiritual mothers and spiritual fathers in our lives. But today, my task is to show you that discipleship is not just life on life, but it's life with Christ. It is looking more and more like him and less and less like our old selves. It is that conforming to Jesus. It's what Paul talks about in Romans 8 when he says, For those whom God foreknew, he predestined to what? To be conformed to who? The image of his son, Jesus. 
Or it's like what John talks about in 1 John chapter 3, when he says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. What John tells us is that, yes, there's going to come a day where that sin nature is gone. There's going to come a day when you will see Jesus in his, quote, glorious return. A little early. But it's going to be glorious. And when he comes, we will be transformed. But between now and then, we have a responsibility in our discipleship to be sanctified progressively, to grow in Christ, conforming to him, awaiting that day when that is completed. Man, we long for that process. But we do need to know that when there are imperatives or, or instructions like these in the scriptures, there are always corresponding challenges to these things. We're being told to conform into the image of Jesus, to look more like him, because there are many things in our lives that would want us to not look like Jesus. There are many guides who lead us away from Jesus. There are many pitfalls we can fall into that would test us from conforming to Jesus. So what we must do then is to be alert and make sure we understand that the ultimate goal is to look like Christ. I'm going to read for us the passage that I've been given for today and some of the surrounding context. If you would meet me in the book of Luke chapter 6, and I'll read verses 39 through 49. Luke chapter 6. Verses 39 through 49. This is what Jesus says. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, 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 when he is fully trained, can you say fully trained? Fully will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take out the log of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good, and the evil person, out of the evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, what happens? His mouth speaks. Verse 46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone, who comes to me and hears my word and does them, I will show you what he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. 
And when a flood arose, the stream broke against the house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When a stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. This is God's word for us. Can I pray once more before we get into the meat of this sermon? Father in heaven, I pray that you would give all of us the ears to hear and the eyes to see what you want us to hear and see, Lord. God, I pray that I would be your instrument, that your Holy Spirit would speak through me with power, passion, and persuasion. And Lord, that your name, in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, might be lifted high. I pray this in his name. Amen. Many commentators discuss this passage understanding it differently because there's a variety of statements that are put together here. But one thing that is very clear is from Luke chapter 6, verse 12 and following, there is a particular context in order here in our passage. It tells us in verse 12 that Jesus went up to a mountain to pray and prayed all night. And upon praying and completing that night, he chose his 12 disciples. And then we see in verse 17, he comes down from the mountain and he's prepared to instruct them. But notice the group of people that are there with him in verse 17. He came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of who? His disciples, along with a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. They came to hear Jesus. What Luke presents before us here is the context for which these words take place. It is Jesus there in a flat plain, perhaps synonymous even with where the Sermon on the Mount was. Jesus there instructing two groups of people that were present. Many disciples and a great multitude of the peoples. But Luke makes it clear that they are not necessarily one in the same. And then more specifically, in verse 20, he lifted up his eyes on his disciples. So everything that follows from verse 20 to chapter 7, verse 1, is Jesus instructing his disciples with the other multitude also watching. I want to stress this point because what we then find in this passage is Jesus giving his disciples. He's given you, he's giving me, he's given us instruction on how he wants us to live out our faith. We see Jesus in this particular sermon have a preoccupation with the acting out, the living out of our faith. He, he really presses on the way we are to live. And we come to verse 39, where Jesus switches with a parable. He talks about blind guides. You know, underneath this whole message that Jesus preaches, there is this sense that he's looking at the crowd and looking at his disciples saying, hey, look, there are many guides in your day. These these Pharisees, these religious leaders are there, but I'm teaching you something new, something different. I tell you who the blessed people are, Jesus says. They're the poor, the hungry, the weeping. But the religious leaders give a hard time to the poor, the hungry, and the weeping. Jesus says, love your enemies. Yet it's the religious leaders that hate Jesus and his followers. Jesus says, don't be judgmental. But the religious leaders judge Jesus for his kind actions. See, this whole message is Jesus saying, this is a way to truly walk with me. 
And then he says in verse 39, Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? See, it's clear in context, Jesus has the Pharisees in mind as the blind ones. Now, physical blindness was a common thing in the first century, especially in cultures where there's lack of medicine. It could be through cataracts, infection, or other kinds of disease that cause people to become blind. And where there are no antibiotics, where there are no modern medicine, blindness is a real problem. And throughout Jesus' ministry, he is confronted with blind people that he brings sight to. But what Jesus does, he takes this very real illustration And he says, this is also true of the spiritual leaders. They are also the blind ones along with you who follow them. In Matthew chapter 23, Jesus says this of the Pharisees, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. He says in verse 16 of that chapter, Woe to you, blind guides. Verse 17, you blind fools. In verse 19, you blind men. In verse 24, you blind guides. You see a thread here? See, Jesus understands that the Pharisees are blind and there he sees those who follow them are then following a blind guide. And the danger here, of course, is that they would then both fall into a pit. Jesus is concerned with the direction of those who would want to come after him and follow him. He's concerned about those that are leading them. And then he goes on to say, a disciple is not above his teacher. So basically, look, if you're going to follow a blind guide, don't be surprised when you end up in a pit with them. There's no no mistake in here. Because you will never go beyond the teaching of your teacher. They, They have a ceiling, and if they are the only one you are following, and if their ceiling does not take you to eternal life, you're going to end up in destruction, in a pit. No disciple is greater or above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Teachers have limits. I've noticed this uh, coaching baseball for my sons. When they're in t-ball, coaching was pretty easy. And then when they got into regular coach's pitch, okay, that wasn't too hard. But now we're talking like stealing bases, hitting the cutoff man. And I'm realizing that my coaching abilities have a ceiling. And if my kids are going to get any better playing baseball, they got to look for another guide. And what Jesus is saying here to those in the first century, I am the right guide. I know I'm talking to ministry leaders here. And I know you guys know that Jesus is the right guide. But we all need to acknowledge that there are times where we we know may not be Shown in how we live. Jesus, we know you're the guide. We know you're the way. But sometimes we just don't follow you. We're not conforming into your image. And what Jesus is teaching them, hey, crooked paths, crooked paths will lead to crooked places. And there are plenty of guides in our day. Sometimes we're being influenced by people we don't even realize that are influencing us via YouTube via podcasts, via media, via politics, via Hollywood. But Jesus is the only guide who knows the way. He knows the way. He will show the way because he is the way. So why Jesus? 
Why are we to follow him? I know you guys know this answer, but bear with me. Because sometimes we forget. I, I want to I prepare a table for you here right now. I want to bring you back to some systematic theology. I want to serve you a cuisine of Christology for a moment here, family. You with me? I want us to remember why we know that Jesus is the one whom we follow and conform into. We want to know why there is none like him. He's the supreme guide family because he's the supreme God family. He precedes everything and everything proceeds from him, doesn't it? We're called to conform to the one who formed us. Let's not forget who this Jesus is. Let's remember his eternality, that before Abraham was, I am. Let's not forget about his deity, how the winds and the waves obey him. Let's not forget how though he was on his throne, he saw us in our plight. And though he sent his prophets, he knew that ultimately he needed himself come on down. We know that Jesus took on flesh. And family, this is the meat in the cuisine. He took on flesh to live the life, a perfect life that you and I could not do. That's why we follow him. We follow Jesus because he also willingly, because of the joy set before him, endured the cross on your behalf, on my behalf. Why wouldn't we follow him, family? And in his resurrection, he put death to death, didn't he? Yes, he did. He put it out of style. Death? That's so BC. <laughs> Jesus put it away. Second Timothy 1 says he abolished it. Why do we follow Jesus? Simply put, because he's worthy of it, fam. There's no one like him. There's no one like him. And not only is he God, not only is he good, but look at the ways he deals with people when they fall into pits. Consider the woman caught in adultery. What mercy he showed her. Consider Peter denying his Savior three times. What redemption he gives him. Consider the tax collector who beat his chest. Lord, I'm a sinful man. And Jesus says, come, follow me. Why wouldn't we follow him, family? He is worthy of it. This is a brief cuisine of Christology. I can't pull out the whole kitchen. We don't have time for that, family. <laughs> See, we, we know this. We know this to be true. That Jesus is worthy to be conformed to. But let's not forget that. And let's come to him. He sees us. And Jesus knows the way. And he shows the way. Because he is the way. He is omnispective. He sees it all. I know, man, I know a lot of us are in ministry. But I know some of us also are in some pits right now. Some of you have followed some guides. You diverted from Jesus. And you're just really stuck right now. I just love how he knows how to pull us up. 
He calls you to repent today. He calls you to return to him. And he offers you restoration, my sister, my brother. Jesus got night vision. He sees it when it's darkest in your life. And so this is why we're told a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he's fully trained, will be like him. We want to be like him, but we got to be fully trained to be like him. That's what Jesus wants us to understand here. We know that positionally we are right before God because at the cross that glorious exchange took place, right? Where my sin was put on his shoulders and his righteousness now clothes me. And so in my position before a holy God, he sees the righteousness of his son and not the filth of Eric. Hallelujah. But he also says, but be fully trained. There's a progressive element to your sanctification that you got to walk in here. And what he does then, he goes on to give three examples of how that is to look. He talks about those who have a speck in their, bro- in their own eye, or their brother's eye, but a log in their own eye. They see the wood chip in their brother, but miss the cross beam in their own eye. And so my understanding here is if we're going to be fully trained like the teacher, we need to have an honest assessment of our own failure and our own need. We need to follow the teacher because we need the teacher because without the teacher, we're lost, we're blind. Jesus says of those who stand in judgment of their brothers without considering their own flaws in verse, there in verse 42, he calls them hypocrites who play the part but are not living that life. You see, conforming to Jesus is a realization that I need him. It starts there. That's where discipleship begins with repentance, a turning from sin and a turning to Jesus. It is that change of mind. And in then our discipleship, there is a lot of sanctifying, a lot of purging God's got to do. He's got to turn up the heat in order to cause us to conform, doesn't he? When you make jello, that's precisely what you got to do. You got to boil the liquid. And once it reaches the right temperature, you then pour it into the mold. And yes, it takes the form of the mold, but it's still liquefied. But what is true of jello is also true of you and I. That the longer you sit in the mold, the more you become like it. You see, when jello it solidifies and you pull it out, it looks like the mold looks. And so when we come to Jesus knowing our failure, expressing our dependency, turning from our sin, Jesus is like, all right, I'm going to begin to purge you. I've given you forgiveness and eternal life, but I'm going to begin to purge you. I'm going to turn up the heat so that you can conform to me and look more like me as time progresses. Now, one of the fun things whenever a child is first born, people start asking, who does that kid look like, right? They're like, the mom has got your eyes, your nose, your ears. Like, wow, how how can you tell? The kid's like four hours old. (laughs) But you know what's pretty fascinating is when four hours go to four years, you start saying, oh, I kind of see that. It's pretty wild. Even this morning, as we were getting ready in the hotel room, my daughter walked out of the room and like, you look like, my, like your mom. You look like my wife. This is really crazy to me. <laughs> and what's become extra clear is the more she matures, the more she looks like her mom. That's discipleship family. 
the more we mature, the more we look like Jesus. But it begins with seeing the plank in our eye. It also goes on in verse 43 to express the treasure of our heart. If we will conform to Jesus, he must be the greatest treasure. For no good tree, in verse 43, bears bad fruit. Nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And the question Jesus is asking, so therefore then who do you treasure? Because whomever you treasure, that's the fruit you're going to be bearing in your lives. Look, I think it's so important for us to understand that orthodoxy does not automatically produce orthopraxy, family. See, just because we have right doctrine doesn't necessarily produce right living. You see, but when our right doctrine treasures Jesus and he is the one that we are following, then in our lives it begins to show. But that's not an automatic thing. That's something that we need to work at. We need to walk with Jesus in. We can cross our hermeneutical I's and dot our theological T's. We could decline nouns and parse verbs. But Jesus is like, can you parse your heart though? Can you search your heart and see your treasure? If you will conform to me, if you will be fully trained like the master, you got to check your heart. It is a beautiful thing, isn't it, family? When you run into other believers, perhaps even in your church, who cannot help but let Jesus flow from their lips. They are are so in love with the gospel. They treasure Jesus so much that they can't help talk about his grace, his goodness, his kindness. And even as we learned last evening, even when they're struggling. See, that's when we treasure Jesus. If we will conform to him, we must treasure him above all. We must be honest with ourselves. And in verse 46 through 49, we've got to obey him radically. Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, not do what I tell you? He said, I got a problem with those who say they're following me, but not doing what I'm telling them to do. Everyone who comes to me and hears my word and does them, I will show you what he's like. He's like someone who builds a house on a firm foundation. But that foundation comes when we live and walk in obedience to Jesus. Family, this is what the church needs. It's for us to understand these beautiful dimensions of discipleship that we're seeing this week. The cross-bearing, the life on life and the life with Christ conforming to him, discipleship. This is how the church goes from being a mere thermometer in culture to a thermostat in culture. Hear me. Thermometers gauge temperature. They they conform to their surrounding. They tell you what it's like. But thermometers don't change anything. Thermostats do. Thermostats can change the temperature of a room when they are adjusted. And in the same way, I believe this is what the church needs. We need to be making disciples and living as disciples if we are going to be those who are thermostats in our culture. Many of the ills we find and many of the things that are happening in our culture is because many in the church have chosen to be thermometers rather than thermostats. But when we're conforming to Jesus, we can't help but be a thermostat. 
When we're conforming to Jesus, we can't help but be honest in our assessment of ourselves. We can't help but treasure him. We can't help but radically obey him. That's the kind of thing Jesus wants to see in all of us. You guys are right now in the Chicago land area, as I made clear earlier. When you come into Chicago, there are certain things that are staples to us. Magnificent Mile, our skyscrapers. But one staple that we hold dear has to do with who the best basketball player in history of the world is. See, when you're in Chicago, this is not a discussion. You can have that discussion in Cleveland, maybe in L.A., definitely not in Miami. But in Chicago, this is a done deal. And we know this because every basketball player who has played since Michael Jordan has been compared to Michael Jordan. Every player is compared to him in the way they play their game, the way they shoot their shot, the way they walk on the court, that killer instinct, those skills. And what many young people in my day and then others now who are grown adults have always tried to mimic his game. They want to conform to his game. But when it comes down to it, they can master the craft, but they're never quite Michael Jordan either. Now, I'm not here to talk about Michael Jordan anymore, family. But boy, wouldn't it be a beautiful thing when our world looks at you and I and they say, you sure look like someone else. You sure look like the goat of all time, the greatest of all time. You you look like Jesus. When you love, you love like him. When you forgive, it resembles his finished work on the cross. When you show compassion, when you serve, when you demonstrate radical generosity and you die to yourself, man, you look like Jesus. That's the ultimate goal, is to look like him. And it begins when he is the undeniable guide of our lives. And it continues and grows as, as we yield to the Holy Spirit and he sanctifies us each day. The ultimate goal of discipleship, let's not get it twisted, is to look like Jesus. He is the summit of discipleship. He is the pinnacle. He is the goal. And when we are fully trained, we will look like him. We saw in 1 John earlier, we long for his return. We long to see him and be like him just as he is. But between now and that time, God has given each of us the responsibility to radically follow him and conform to the image of his son. Sit in that mold, family. Wait in it. Linger long in the mold of Jesus. And watch how you, as you mature, conform to the image of our great God and Savior. To him be the glory. Let's pray. Almighty God, we are overwhelmed at the kindness you would show us in taking on human flesh, in living the life we could not live to die the death we deserved, 
And if that weren't enough, you summons us to serve and follow and look like Jesus. God, I pray for that man and woman here who sees the ways that they have gotten off track, followed wrong guides, fallen into moral or theological or social pitfalls. And I pray, Lord, they will see your grace this morning in a fresh way. Father, for all of us, let us set our eyes on your son and may we treasure him above everything. For the glory of your name, amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the EFCA Theology Podcast. You can find more episodes by searching EFCA Theology Podcast in any podcast app or on the web at efca.org slash podcast. Thank you.